Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. We're in the beautiful Spurgeon Library here on the campus of Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out. And I have in the studio with me, once again, co-host extraordinaire, Ronnie Kurtz. Ronnie, thanks for joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we have uh, recently, by the time you hear this, the transition will be um, long since completed. Uh, but Ronnie has become managing editor of the For the Church uh, website and uh, still um, overseeing social media, marketing, and, and so forth uh, for Midwestern. And it's great thinker, good pastor. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was trying to change the adjectives there. I didn't mean that you're not a great pastor. But he's a great thinker. <laughs> he's a good pastor. All right. And he's an okay <laughs> podcast host. No, you're, just, you're just all around great. <laughs> wow. And uh, today we're going to talk about pastors and ministry leaders in general, but uh, your reading habits. Mm. And so I thought I would begin, Ronnie, just by sort of working through um, each of us maybe sharing two or three titles of books that have been really formative for us in, in ministry in particular, um, you know, what those books would be, sort of where you were when you read them and um, how they've shaped you. Why don't you go first? What's one of the most formative titles for you? Yeah, I think um – well, there's few conversations I like to have more than just talking about books. This is, this is fun to me. Hope, <laughs> it's, hope it's fun to the, the listener. Uh, for me, when I became a new believer, uh, I, to my knowledge, I was the first believer in my family. So there wasn't much Christian history or Christian tradition in my family. And so I was pretty new to the whole thing, um, especially when it comes to just thinking about the Lord. And so uh, I didn't really – and I also grew up – I wasn't a reader growing up. So I was a, a okay. sports fanatic. So any free moment I had, I wanted to be outside throwing a football or a baseball or playing roller hockey or, you know, do, doing something with sports. So I didn't really become a reader until after I was became a, became a uh, believer. In my early Christian years, I just wasn't in a, an environment that really championed theology. So I wasn't reading many theological volumes, kind of more practical volumes, and it was the first time. Uh, when I when I went to college, that was really the first time that I that I dove into theology. And it was really by accident. I don't even remember how I got a copy, but I was given a copy of Knowing God by Jack Packer. Mm. And I know a lot of listeners are going to have similar stories with that particular book. But um, I remember reading it and about halfway through thinking, whoever this Jack Packer is, he worships a bigger God than I do. Wow. And I want his God. And so... Uh, it is no exaggeration to say that book was paradigm shifting. My life was going one direction. I read that book, and it, afterwards it was going another direction. Wow! Um, so that was that was a big one for me. Um, Jared, you know this. I have to bring it up, but uh, the pastor's <laughs> justification okay. was very very similar. Uh, for I wasn't me. expecting that to be uh, honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've we've talked about this before. Okay. I know this isn't why you have me on here, but <laughs> but that book. Um, was was foundational for me in ministry. I read it, and uh, listeners, if you haven't if you haven't read it, make sure to do so soon. I when I finished it, I took it to my elders. I was an intern at a church. I took it to the pastors of our church, and I said, "You guys have to read this. I'll buy it for you <laughs> if that's what it takes." And uh, one of them read it, and then did make it required reading for the other pastors, and and I got to the chance to read it with them and. Uh, we read it every year. I reread it every year with our pastoral wow. residents, and so um, that that book was foundational for me. And in the same way, kind of the the God the God trilogy, knowing God, desiring God, chosen by God, were kind yes. of all formative for me. Yeah, that's interesting. So, chosen by God was pretty uh, instrumental for me in sort of 
um, turning the corner, uh, as it were, on kind of reform soteriology. Um, and I've just heard from so many people who say the same thing, like that book, whatever it was, that book. And it's not a very big book. It's not an academic mm-hmm. type book. And I wouldn't even say that that, that, that book um, is the best book on that subject, really. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, I had been studying and reading and, and, and read numerous books on that sort of Calvinism stuff and uh, was very, you know, I was a reluctant, quote unquote, convert <laughs> to it. I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, even as I found the biblical arguments increasingly convincing to me. Uh, I was not enjoying them. Mm. So I wasn't like, you know, full steam ahead trying to, you know, come into this view. Uh, but Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul mm-hmm. was sort of the um, the pastoral, um, in a sense, winsome, um, you know, book that kind of pushed me over the edge or just kind of like opened the door. It's like, come on in, you know, <laughs> there's room for you, you know, that sort of thing, um, which was very good. I, I think um, – Probably the book that created for me almost like a Copernican revolution in terms of my experience of church and um, and discipleship and and what have you uh, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Yeah, and you know I don't affirm everything you know Bonhoeffer believed and and what have you, um, but that book at the time that I was reading it, that's why I mentioned like the context in which you read these things sometimes determines so much. Exactly. Right? Because other people that I've recommended this to, they read it and they're just like, yeah, okay, it was all right. I'm like, no, 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 no. It turns your world upside down. Well, it turned my world upside down. I was reading it in the context. I was in a men's um, – it was a small group. It's just like a – it wasn't even a book club. It was like – just to be honest with you, it was a group of gamers. <laughs> it was men who were gamers. I'm not a gamer. And by gamer, I mean I think they play video games, but it was like board games. Wow. So they did like board games and like role-playing games and things like that. And I, I have zero interest in any of that. But it was a group. I knew one of the guys, and I was looking for community in my church. It was a it was a tractional, you know, mega church, and we'd been there a while and didn't really know people very well. Didn't have very many close friends, despite you know efforts of of trying. And this guy was like, "Hey, some guys and I, we get together every couple of weeks to do this, that, and the other thing." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll go." And just started hanging out with those guys. And we even went on a retreat together <laughs> where they played <laughs> games like 24-7. And I sat and read like hey. uh, in the living room. Uh, but it was just kind of good to have some community. <laughs> um, but my experience of church up to that point was there was just something missing. I didn't know what it was. And there was a lot going on for me personally and spiritually. My life was a mess. Um, I was, uh, you know, really you know, had this kind of spiritual chaos going on inside of me and was just working through all sorts of things on the verge of depression, all this deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we decided we were going to start reading books together, and we read some book on, you know, finding Jesus in the movies or something that somebody recommended. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody was like, Jared, what would you like to read? And I had read Cost of Discipleship like several years before, and it, and it freaked me out, and I put it away. And I um, somehow had this old copy of Life Together, and it just seemed like it was a little book. It was on Christian community. I said, why don't we read this because it's about community, and we're doing this small group thing. And maybe yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And, man, it just discombobulated me. Mm. I, I, the whole idea that we, we meet each other as bringers of the gospel mm. um, even convicted me in the sense of, like, I'm constantly measuring this, this megachurch thing, or I'm constantly sizing them up and critiquing them in my head and – Rehearsing the you know the flaws and the failings of this system, and Bonhoeffer has some very direct words about how we shouldn't you know be our church's accuser. Mm-hmm. All those things, you know, 
So it just on so many different levels, it changed so much for me. And every time I pick it up, I've read it probably six you know times by now. Every time I pick it up, um, I see something I'm like, man, this is the greatest word on this subject. Uh, and just in terms of like the experience of family and transparency and honesty with each other. So living sort of a, a confessional, openly Christian, you know, life with my brothers and sisters in covenant. That book is probably outside the Bible the most formative book wow. for me. Um, I really would put it hmm. up there. Um, yeah, chosen by God was um, you know certainly instrumental uh, for me as well. Uh, but the works of C.S. Lewis, I don't know um, uh, you know what what your experience with him is, um, but I was reading his fiction as a kid, and really it kind of you know he uses the language. I think it's his phrase. Bap- his imagination was baptized. Hmm. And so he credits his reading of George MacDonald with baptizing his imagination for later reception of the gospel. And Lewis, his works, baptized my imagination as a kid wow. just for the capacity for wonder and glory. And mm-hmm. so Lewis is not a Reformed guy. And, I mean, he was, you know, Anglican and that kind of thing. But, you know, we don't look at him as like a Calvinist or anything. Um, but his writing, I, I, I can draw a line from the wonder, the glory, just the, the imaginative sense that the the you know, Chronicles of Narnia, Space Trilogy, all of that gave me for later this big view of God. Hmm. He he prepared That's me. That's great. I love that. Um, for that, seeing it in the Puritans and the Reformers and mm-hmm. and what have you. Anything else? Like, I mean, any titles that would be sort of for you? Yeah, I have a, even in my kind of as I grew more and more in a love for theology, I I started to. I found myself loving that kind of the middle space between the academy and the church. And so those those particular theologians who were gifted at making complex theology uh, understandable and not even just understandable but enjoyable for God's people, I found myself gravitating to those particular thinkers. And so I think of works like um, The Plight of Man and the Power of God or Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray yeah. – um, those books were just really helpful to me um, see, okay, that's the lane I want to run in. I want to think like an academic and speak like a pastor. Yeah. And, um, and and those guys were really helpful. And, I, and, and even B.B. Warfield uh, ha- had some of that. The, the religious life of the theology student uh, was, was really beneficial to me to read early on in seminary and just – Seeing that I don't have to choose between academic study and devotion, but my my robust thought life can be bent towards loving God um, devotionally, and, and Warfield was helpful there. So th- those kinds of those kinds of theologians were helpful. Yeah, I remember I was sitting in um, I was waiting to be uh, chosen or not chosen for jury duty in, in, <laughs> in Houston, Texas. I was probably well, this would have been in 1995 or 96. So I was 20 or 21 years old. And I took with me a copy of Jonathan Edwards on Revival. Yeah. Um, which today that would not seem surprising that I was reading Jonathan Edwards, but at 20 years old at an attractional church plant in Houston, Texas, yeah. you, you would be like, why are you reading that? This is an old dead guy, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I honestly don't know why. I don't know how, how I had the book. I just always had sort of an affection for um, things that were bigger than me. Mm. And I just had this little book, and I still have that same copy. Um, and it's sort of the compilation of three of his works, the, you know, uh, Chronicle of the Revivals at Northampton and Narrative of Surprising Conversions, those sort of things. And it's all in this one book on Jonathan Edwards on Revival, which I think is from Banner of Truth. And I was reading that just waiting to be called for jury duty. And I just remember thinking, I, number one, I want to experience this. 
And number two, um, he talks about, um, as you said, he talks about God in a way that I want to experience yeah. God. He's He's doing theology. I mean, it's you know, it's history. He's talking about you know, the, uh, the sort of diary entries and 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 that sort of thing. But the way Edwards describes God is he is big and yet knowable. Mm. He is transcendent and yet exper- and, and yet eminent. And mm-hmm. I didn't have necessarily those words at that time, but that's the sense that I got from Absolutely. that book. And so I can when, when books have an impression on me, I remember where I was mm-hmm. when I was reading them in the context in which I was reading them. And I just remember that I didn't get you know uh, uh, called for the jury, which I was glad for. <laughs> but I got to read a lot of Jonathan Edwards while I Thanks sat to Edwards, in that. Likely. That's right, that downtown Houston courthouse. All right, let's take a coffee break. And when we come back, we'll talk some more about the pastor and reading habits, what you ought to be reading, ministry mm-hmm. leader, um, what you should be looking out for as you read, and that sort of thing. Um, let's hear a word first, however, from our host at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. I'm talking with Ronnie Kurtz. Uh, We have been discussing formative books for us, and, of course, we could go on and on and on about books that have impressed us, helped us, shaped us in some way. And we may mention one or two more as we go, but I want to sort of redirect the conversation uh, for the listener, those who are in ministry leadership of some kind, in particular pastors, um, but other teachers and and ministers as well. Um, What should they be reading? How should they be reading? Uh, Let's begin with this. What are some things to, um, well, what are some things that pastors don't think about Mm. when it comes to their reading, do you think? That's a good question. Well, let me just speak from personal experience. I grew up, and I, I even hate to admit this on a recorded uh, platform, but <laughs> I first, I just didn't grow up a reader. And when I became a reader, all can, of my reading— Can I stop you just for a yes. second? So what you said earlier about I didn't read, and then, I was, and then when, after I was converted, I became a reader, I hear that so, so much. Yeah. I hear it from some of my residents. Um, I hear it from guys here around the seminary. And it's a sense of making up for lost time. There's something to be explored there, and we can just put a pin in it for right now. But yeah. I just want to point it out because there's something to be explored there about not reading before conversion and being a voracious yep. reader. That's after. exactly right. There's something that happens yeah. there. Okay. I think yeah, th- I, we'll, we'll put a pin in it for okay. sure. But I think uh, <laughs> I think God has chosen to reveal Himself via a book. Yeah. And I think that tends to create bookish people. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so I didn't. I didn't really grow up reading. But one of the things that I regret, even when I did become a reader after my conversion, was I just neglected fiction. Okay. And um, this this might be surprising to the listener to hear of this being something I recommend for for pastors and for ministry leaders. But over the past two three years, my fiction intake has significantly increased. Um, from just kind of like every once in a while to I'm actively working through a list of fiction books that I want to work through. For, so, for instance, right now I'm just um, I'm working through all of the Pulitzer Prize winners uh, of fiction and just kind of marching through from 2010 to to this year. 
And what I notice when I read fiction is very similar to what you just said, Jared, with your with your experience with Lewis. Is I just find that my one my joy is is more evident. I I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, my imagination is captivated. Uh, I have a better ability to empathize with people okay. uh, because I'm reading the stories of characters and their their victory, their trials. And I think maybe the most beneficial aspect of reading fiction for pastors uh, and for just Christians in general is just being able to over and over and over again, see how the parts work to the whole of a story and how the whole of a story informs the parts of a story. And we just need that in our Bible reading and as we explore the text. And I think fiction just really helps there. And so um, so that's one. Another another that I would say for pastors that they just might not be thinking about is um, read from multiple eras of church history, especially just – as uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I want to do theology long term vocationally, and this has just been very beneficial for me. I think we tend to, as 21st century Christian readers, um, only read the, the newest works. Or if we do read anything in history, it's basically confined to the reformers and the Puritans, uh, which are remarkably helpful. And we should read much. We should increase our reading of the reformers and Puritans. But I, I think we should not neglect the patristics. And so I, if, if you're new to that, reading the Church Fathers, um, man, pick up a copy of uh, something like On the Incarnation by Athanasius mm-hmm. or Confessions by Augustine or uh, On the Unity of Christ by Cyril uh, of Alexandria. And these, these, are, these are so helpful. Uh, even the, the medieval period, I think we very much neglect that period. We, we don't read Anselm or even Aquinas. Um, I think pastors would really benefit yeah. from reading the first 144 questions of the Summa from Aquinas. Oh, wow. Um, my doctrine of God was radically altered mm. by reading those 144 questions and his answers to them uh, for the better. And I'm, I'm forever in his debt for, for that. And then, yeah, the Reformers, the, the Puritans, and even in the modern era. So just kind of read throughout church history. And what you see is that God was is, seems to be pleased to protect his church from different theological error in different theological eras. And uh, you kind of round out your theological view there doing that. Yeah. Um, if I can put a word in for Augustine, um, in particular the Confessions, I remember the first time I read that as well. And I was – it was either late high school or early college. But I remember I was in Houston and our pastor was raising money, took up a love offering to purchase copies Hmm. Of it was, it was like it sounded so strange to me. Um, the Confessions of Saint Augustine, he says, <laughs> uh, for some foreign pastors or foreign ministry leaders, and just the idea that you would hear the word saint, uh, saint, anything um, in in my ba- you know Southern Baptist Church, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and it was confessions. Oh, there's a saints confessing about things. And uh, I thought, well, if it's important enough that we're raising money to buy copies, I, I don't wow. even remember the context. Why this book? Yeah. Why these particular? It was some, you know, it was like foreign missionaries or something. They wanted copies of this book for something, and I don't remember what that was. But we were raising money to buy, uh, to purchase copies for it. And it might have just been some little pet project that our pastor had at that time or something. Uh, Dr. Bill Bennett, who's actually served at Southeastern Seminary um, um, previously, and uh, I think sadly he just passed away a year or two ago. Uh, but I, that that made me seek the book out, and I went down to the Baptist bookstore, which is what it was called at that time, and uh, said, "I'm looking for this book, you know, Saint Augustine's Confessions," 
And I found a little, I think it was Barber Publishing. It was this little like uh, mass market paperback that they had in kind of the bargain yeah. area, you know, you know, Christian classics kind of thing. <laughs> and read it. And what I was struck by as I read it was how much like the Psalms that it read. And of course, oh, I didn't get yeah. all the theology and everything at that time because he, he gets pretty deep. Um, but it just it it read like poetry to some mm. extent, and like you know like song like songs, um, and so I didn't really have the capacity for it, but I plowed through it. Mm. Uh, later, read it a second time. This last year, I read for the third time. I read um, uh, Pusey's translation, and, I, and it took me a year because I would read like a page or two before bed, and it yeah. just became this sort of you know nighttime routine for me. And what I like um, about Augustine and and really, you know, um, you know the other you know uh, uh, theologians and, and writers that you mentioned is they speak to why I think many pastors don't read things like that is because they picture it as dry. Yep. Uh, this is purely intellectualism. That's I, right. I've, I've got my doctrinal you know P's and Q's minded. So what do I need to read that stuff for? But one of these things that Augustine in particular um, helps us do is connect theology with doxology. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember hearing John Piper once on a on a panel discussion uh, tell preachers they have to be careful with commentaries because he says it's very rare to find a commentary with the word O in it. Wow. That's great. <laughs> O-H exclamation point. Augustine puts the O in <laughs> theology. And I think that's why a lot of pastors stay away from these things because it just seems yeah. like academic and dry and scholarly and what have mm. you. And we need more writers and academics who connect these things. They're exulting even as they are um, you know, exegeting, and that way they help pastors do the same. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. then on the fiction note as well, why do you think – because I would recommend that as well. I think more preachers in particular – should read more fiction, good fiction, literary fiction. Um, why do you think they don't? Yeah, I think I think honestly, our culture and our pastors have bought into many of them kind of a utilitarian mindset of this doesn't feel immediately practical to my ministry, and so yeah. why would I spend time reading this five hundred page novel when I could? It feels like a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, th- I don't know that they would articulate it that harshly, but I think when you start peeling back the layers, you would kind of get there. Which, which I think is a shame. Uh, you, you can tell pastors, when when pastors are in the pulpit, you can tell the ones who are just immersed in fiction because their language is alive mm-hmm. and they can wordsmith in such a way that you just you get stung by some of their sentences and their, their language is tighter. And uh, even just uh, for lack of a better word, just, it's kind of punchy even in a way that just you, you walk away remembering sentences that – uh, will kind of sear themselves into your memory. And that's wonderful uh, yeah. to have that ability. Yeah. Uh, I also remember hearing Piper say, and I don't know if it's original to him, but saying that books don't change people, sentences do. That's right. Um, I think maybe paragraphs do, but sentences do. And they I do. remember you know certain lines from things um, yeah. that way that have such a deep impact. And um, I just think reading fiction, and to some extent poetry, for some people I know that's just like, all right, that's too far. I'll, I'll read, I'll read, <laughs> I'll read you, a Jared. few novels, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. I'll pick up some. Uh, you know, Tom Clancy or something. <laughs> I can go there because uh, it's sort of, you know, but, you know, poetry is a bridge too far. I understand that. But these things, they, they just like stretch different parts of our brain. Amen. I mean, they just will, will make you a more f- uh, well-rounded and fully orbed preacher um, for sure. Um, and I hadn't really even thought of, you know, the, you know, the, the things you mentioned in terms of 
uh, you know, being empathetic and, yes. and putting yourself, you know, sort of in the mindsets of others. And, and that's certainly true, I think, as well. But Absolutely. just from the, you know, the standpoint of communication and expression, uh, you know, working those muscles, I just think is, is really helpful. I can tell you the – so I've never had a problem reading fiction. What I'm a latecomer to really in the, like the last three years, you know, maybe, um, so even like through ministry, I neglected this, um, is biography. Mm. And I don't know why I had an avert. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't express why I wasn't interested. And I read lots of nonfiction, so it's not a, a, an issue of like only wanting to be in the imaginary world or what yeah. have you. But I just, I, I don't know if I don't find people interesting. <laughs> I, don't know, like, <laughs> I don't find real. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know what it is. I just I've never read biographies very yeah. well. And so over the last two three years, I've had to intentionally read biographies and. I have found them really helpful as well, Absolutely. just as a as a singular kind of aspect into the look of history and church history. Yeah, and that sort of thing. I think what it is is I hated history in school. Really? That yeah. Surprises so I like the idea of history. I like yeah, but the way it was taught, I think I think you know, so many times the kind of teaching you have or the kind of teacher you have shapes yeah whether you're I, into something or not. I enjoy biography tremendously so much so that I use biography as reward. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, that's your so, treat. That's right. Yeah. Treat so yourself. for instance, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I'm in the PhD program now and I'm, I'm so close to finishing seminars and getting into the writing phase of my dissertation. And I've, I've, I've bought, uh, my wife bought it for me as a reward for when I finished the seminar stage, the, um, Manchester's three volume biography on Winston Churchill, okay. The Last Lion, yeah. uh, which I've never had the ability to read yet. And so many men that I respect, that's in their mind, that's the greatest biography. Yeah. And so, so it's sitting on my shelf, yeah. beckoning me to finish uh, seminars. <laughs> yeah. So, so many men you respect say that they have read that book. That's exactly yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I've heard this of uh, David Foster Wallace, another author that I love, his yeah. book, Infinite Jest. Uh, I've heard the phrase that everyone's ex-boyfriend has an unread copy That's of Infinite <laughs> Jest on their shelf somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, we tried reading Infinite Jest. But there was a, a book club um, that sort of tangential to the seminary. It was started by some folks actually at your church. That's the right. Church yeah. started this, and I was roped in early on Amen. about five years ago. And we were working through uh, you know, mainly fiction. In fact, I don't remember us not reading fiction, but it was a way for you know for seminary students and, and others in this community to kind of stretch those muscles. And so we were worked through mainly classics. We, you know, we read Cannery Row. We read um, some stuff from Fitzgerald. And uh, we tried doing Dostoevsky, and the, the, the group petered out before we could get to Dostoevsky. <laughs> uh, but, but mainly classics, but some modern lit as well. And some of them, someone had the brave idea for Infinite Jest. And I think my wife, actually, who was part of the book club, she got the furthest yeah. out, of, out of everybody. Most people stopped at like page 120-something, wow. which is crazy because the book is like a thousand that something pages. That is a shame. I know yeah. it's cliche, but yeah. I, am, I am a deep, deep fan of David Foster Wallace. Well, uh, you should have been a part of the group. You could have been, <laughs> you could have been our Sherpa yeah. uh, up, up that there mountain. You go. And maybe we could have kept going if we had had your coaching. All right, let's end with this. Um, maybe what are you reading now? What's some things that are on your nightstand? What are some things that you're working through? Yeah, well, I'll just say um, I'll do both fiction and nonfiction. Okay. Uh, I just finished – again, I'm working through the Pulitzer Prize winners. I just finished uh, not too long ago a fiction book called All the Light That We Cannot See. Yeah. And it, it was remarkable. Uh, just the, the language was absolutely beautiful. The author, um, Anthony, took years to write it, and you can tell he just spent time perfecting – his prose and 
it shows. And so if, if you need a fiction recommendation, there you go. There's my fiction recommendation for you, All the Light We Cannot See. And then in terms of nonfiction, I, I've been reading a few things on my nightstand right now. I'm working through a collection of sermons. Uh, I, I do that periodically. Um, I, I've really benefited in the past from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Setting Your Affections Upon Glory. But right now I'm reading a book called Confronted by Grace, which is a collection of sermons by a theologian uh, who recently passed away named John Webster, uh, reading through his sermons. And then I read – one of the things I recommend to readers and would recommend to listeners is uh, find a dead theologian and just commit your life to reading everything they've ever written. And I've, I've done that with a number of theologians, um, but if I could – only read one theologian for the rest of my life, uh, it would, for me, it would without a doubt be Herman Bovink. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of consistently work through everything that he has written, and I'm currently working through again his volume on the doctrine of God. Wow. Very good. Um, I'm reading um, several different things at several different stages of progress. <laughs> so on the biography tip, I started the big Truman biography. Um, that a lot of people recommended. My friend David McLemore recommended to me. It's uh, uh, David McCulloch's, and he's a good Missouri boy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Truman. That's right. And um, I think I'm about at page 30 <laughs> <laughs> uh, after months. And, and so it's like other things get my attention, and so I start reading. And so I always have like five or six books going at the same time. But So I've got that like sitting on my nightstand just mocking me yeah. all the time. It's like, all right, I'm going to come back to you because I know I need to do the biographies. Um, I'm almost done with um, Interpreting Scripture with the Great Tradition oh, by Craig Carter, yeah. uh, which is just fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really enjoying that. Um, really just sort of the genius of pre-modern exegesis. That's right. And, um, even like this whole the, the, the discussion of Christian Platonism and all yeah. these sorts of things. Um, it's really, really uh, provocative mm-hmm. and really helpful, I think. It's a I fantastic think. book. So if, if you are interested in just you know the discipline or the study – uh, biblical theology and even uh, like things in that category, uh, this would be a really helpful book for you. But also just as a student of the mm-hmm. scriptures, this would be a helpful book for you. I'm also working through, by accident, <clears throat> Puritan Papers, Volume 4, edited by J.I. Packer. Really? And here's why it's by accident, because I tried to order Volume 1 <laughs> and got halfway through before I discovered they had sent me Volume 4. So I ordered from an Amazon third-party seller. I wanted to work through all, all – I think it's four volumes in total – um, and essentially, the Puritan Papers is a is a collection. It's the, the the manuscripts of these talks that were given at the Puritan conferences that uh, Packer, Martin Lloyd Jones had put on, hmm. um, and so it spans probably twenty years or so. And I wanted to begin with Volume One and work through all of these talks um, um, in these books. And I was an Amazon third party seller. Order Volume One, yeah, yeah, and they sent it. And I even double checked, like, did I really order Volume One? And I did. And yet I got halfway through the book. And I'm looking at the cover again. Big old four on it. <laughs> so on my Goodreads, it says I'm like two-thirds of the way through volume one. I'm really two-thirds of the way through volume four. So now I have to order volume one again, but say I'm reading volume four on Goodreads <laughs> just to keep everything tight. Uh, fiction-wise, I'm reading Travels with My Aunt by Graham Greene. Uh, it's not that great. And I like Graham Greene quite a bit. In fact, his book, The End of the Affair, is maybe my top one or two or three. Uh, if I had to do I had the top five novels for me. Yeah. It would be in my top five. Wow. The End of the Affair by Graham Greene, which is one we read in our little book club, actually, yeah. that, that people really enjoyed. Um, and so I just was so moved by that and some of the things that I read by him that I thought. Uh, and, and Travels with My Aunt is considered a, you know, one of his classics or better works. And I'm just really bored with it. And it's, uh, But I'm at the point now it's like I can't put it aside. Do you typically finish bad books? I do finish bad really? books. Really? Unless okay. – 
Yeah. Well, there's a point of, of no return for yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. So if I'm like 20, you know, 30 pages in, I'll put it away. Yeah. yeah I was just like, this isn't grabbing me. But I generally give books a little bit longer than that. How gracious of you. I, I know. I just think maybe somebody, <laughs> you know, gets better or whatever it is. That must but be an author thing. It, it probably You're is. empathetic with them. <laughs> that's right. But as an author who wants to sell books, you know, you got to grab people yeah. by sentence one, much less page one, chapter one. So um, that's where we are. There's a few other things I'm reading, but I won't bore you with those things. Um what I would encourage you to do, those of you who are listening, is to think intentionally about what you read and maybe branching out beyond things that you normally consume. So it's very easy for pastors to get in ruts. We read best practices books, right? So uh, maybe we don't dwell even too much in theology because we don't see it's, uh, how eminently practical it can be for us. Or mm. um, you know, even in the devotional sense, uh, theology can be helpful to you in, in your affections for the Lord. Um, but you can get in a rut, and ministry leaders sometimes get in ruts. We read things that just seem immediately a- applicable to our situation, and so we you know, only end up reading church growth books or ministry best practices books or pastoral ministry books and maybe set some time aside. Sometimes I think it's not a lack of desire for many pastors. It's, uh, in their mind, a lack of available time. Uh, but to prioritize your study time, think of where you may pick up some ground, maybe that show on Netflix can wait a little bit longer, and you can spend 30 minutes or an hour in the evening. Reading, it's a good way to kind of still your soul, um, but also exercise uh, different muscles in your brain as well if you're willing to branch out to different genres. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was um, helpful to you. I've certainly enjoyed talking about books, and we could go on for a long, long time, uh, but we're going to stop. Thank you, uh, dear listener. Um, if you like the program, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.